Welcome to Luma and Bloom, the podcast that empowers and enlightens. My name is Nick. And my name's Kate. And together, our goal is to shine a light on the dark conversations. Luma and Bloom is brought to you by the Joy Smith Foundation. We are here today with our friend Rob Nash. And yes, he is our friend. We Just some context here. (laughs) We have had quite a few laughs already. Rob's been in the office for about 20 minutes, and it's been nothing but giggles. A little bit of dark humor coming out here. Kate threw a lamp at me. I did. I did. Not on purpose. (laughs) I discovered this. We have a a battery tree. They have a a plant Stop telling our secrets, Rob. (laughs) This is how they keep the plant alive. It is double A battery. No watering. Uh, My laugh sounds like a car trying to start right now. So it's going to be an interesting two hours here. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, it's going to be interesting because we do have a very serious conversation today. So it's probably good that we're getting all the laughs out ahead of time. But I mean, let's be real. Our whole podcast is bringing light to the dark conversation. Yes. So So hopefully there's not too much, too much dark humor that makes us sound um, insensitive, but I feel like Rob is a very positive person and we are just really looking forward to having the conversation with him, but also he just brings a great dynamic to the set. This is not something (laughs) that we've had the chance to do yet is just to sit down and have some laughs and yeah, well you have to be able to like joke and laugh and stuff even when people have come to my concerts yeah i talk about some serious issues but i open the show doing all the family guy voices and nobody's really <laughs> expecting that you know i sing um, like adam sandler and so people are you, you, you have to be able to within anything find some humor in it right for yeah, sure you i really totally do. agree well i will say i was telling nicole this earlier and i've shared this with you before but this is a very full circle moment for me because when i was a kid you had come to my school and you did your show. I mean, this would have been like early 2000s, probably wow, yeah. like long, long time ago. I was in elementary school, like early elementary school, but I've always remembered it. It's always been something that, you know, really stuck out in my brain. And it's just such a testament to the story that you are bringing and sharing and yeah, so it's a full circle moment for me. I'm so excited to be doing this today. Cool. It's always interesting for me because um, I'm sure we'll get into this, but, you know, I play music. It's been kind of my career, but, you know, had some hits on the radio. And then I've done a lot of work in schools and prisons and reserves. And now meeting people, and I saw you. And this was <laughs> supposed to be nine months of doing stuff like this, doing, wow. you know, going to schools and prisons and youth detention centers and reserves and telling my story with a guitar and yeah it's turned into years and so meeting yourself and hearing that you remember it yeah because i when i was in school if they had a presentation it's like how could i skip this (laughs) and and if it happened you know if you're there you're just like you it was just a nightmare most of them so i'd be like well if we're gonna do this i gotta make it cool and make it you know, entertaining because, you know, you want to keep keep people captive, right? So as you saw, we have well, lights and videos yeah. and music and all that. So. It was the one and only presentation I remember from my from my school days. So it, it worked. Well, what you're doing worked. It's a little full circle for me too, not to put you on the spot, but the first time I met you again was at the gala 
And I saw a very different side of you because you brought your guitar, but you also sang with another survivor. Yeah. And you sang Hallelujah. Yeah. Um, the rock, the rock song. Yeah. And I cried. I was very touched and very moved, probably because I knew her story and seeing someone like yourself who, I mean, you have a very rough looking exterior, which is good because for someone like me, seeing someone like you having such a heart of compassion for people like me, but also, you know, doing what you're doing, you're doing now with suicide awareness was just a really touching moment for me. And then putting you on the spot, <laughs> we I went to have a visit with some of the other survivors were there. And this amazing guy paid for our supper. Like, just he's like, I just can't. I can't. It was McDonald's comedy. It was not <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't downplay it because it left such a lasting impression on me that someone that I don't really know who already had such an impact on me and how they carried themselves, how they interacted with people. And I don't I don't want to like ruin your tough facade, no, but no. you are such a big hearted, compassionate person. It's just it's. It's healing to meet people like you. Yeah. Well, you know, a few things about that. A, like, yeah, I was just showing you pictures of me before I grew out the beard and stuff <laughs> and you don't recognize uh. me. But, you know, this tough exterior and, you know, I'm, I'm six foot five. You know, I played a lot of sports. I know what it's like to be edgy, but I knew what it was like to hide all of those emotions and be a man and suck it up. And mm -hmm. that's a big part of why I struggled so much with my mental health. But I realized if I could, you know, especially if we're, playing prisons and stuff and you know if it's one thing if I can get to that uh you know 14 year old girl in the front row you know but if I can get to that guy at the back of the room yeah they can go like and show them it's okay to be rough and edgy looking and tough exterior but sh still have that compassion and mercy and grace and love on the inside of you to show young men you can have the, both of those things is a good thing and you know women if you're looking for that girls if you're looking you should expect that from the person around mm -hmm. you so that was it's very much like what I do and it, it wasn't unusual you said it was a unique moment because you saw this you know it was an acoustic show the hallelujah thing wasn't even planned by the way it was but, awesome um but you know it, it I love showing that throughout the show people aren't expecting it you know because yeah they just kind of see me and people kind of have a picture of oh this guy must be like this you know and I love I have one song on my new album it's you know you know the statement oh he's a wolf in sheep's clothing mm -hmm. yeah. I have a song that says I'm a sheep in lion's clothing Hmm. Like, so I it's like, there's a, there's a, yeah. a, not entirely, but there is a purity in me that people see that they don't expect because of the, the wolf exterior, the lion exterior, they right. don't expect that. And one of the reasons I was so impacted and I didn't know that I paid for your supper, but maybe I did. You did. <laughs> but, Absolutely. You did. But I wasn't sitting with you guys <laughs> no, at that you table. Weren't. But the reason I, is I heard you speak and share your story. I was so moved as well as some other others that night. Um, and I had a girl that I had brought up that we met who went through very much the similar stuff that you've been through. And uh, she sang with me. And, oh, man, just hearing your impact. And there's only so much I can, I can relate to her and talk to her about some of the trauma that she went through from such a young age that I was like, would you spend some time with her? And you did. And that has had a lasting impact on Maya. Yeah. Oh. So you guys sat down for supper with her. 
and you just yeah you poured into her life and it just that rocked me and had me in tears because there's only so much I oh, can wow. speak. I'm gonna so. cry. <laughs> tears are a good thing. <laughs> I'm are. sure they're not. It's not going to be the only tears today. Uh, no, I yeah. It's just you and you said it perfectly. I think that's just I I I wasn't sure the word to put on it, but you are very pure in heart, mm-hmm. and it seems like a contradiction. Yeah. Because you embody very much that like like rough and tough exterior. But like the first time, from the first time I met you, I saw none of that. I just was like, he's a cool guy with just a huge, pure heart. So Yeah, and you know, I'd love to say that I'm 100% pure because you know, when somebody comes up and asks for an autograph or a a selfie and stuff, there's part of me that's always trying to check myself because it does feel good. You know, Mm -hmm. so you're like, oh, I hope people can sense that this isn't, you know, but it, it does feel good to be fulfilled and to do something significant with your life. But I'm always trying to check that become because I come from an industry of entertainment music where there's so much ego. And yeah. I just, oh, yes, so yes. everybody's also got that. Oh, sure. you're a musician. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know who you are because they're, and for good reason, a lot of <laughs> musicians have a certain well, aura about them. You are probably, probably one of the humblest people yeah. I have ever met. So you've done a really good job of of reining that in if it is an internal struggle because I would never guess. Yeah, it's it's not like a a struggle. It's just something I'm always watching for. I never want to like, and I think that- Well, you can tell because you're a very (laughs) humble person. Well, I think the place where it mattered the most is where we started working with indigenous people. You know, when we got called to the first reserve saying, hey, we're going through this struggles with suicide and addiction. Can you come? We've heard you're really effective. When we got there, it's like me and my team show up and it was like, oh, What's the catch? You know, you could just see it's like here comes a white boy to save mm-hmm. the day. And there's obviously so much trauma and people have their guard up. And it's like, how much did he charge to come here? Oh, he's here for free. Oh, their charity is in debt. <laughs> what is he going to sell us? Oh, <laughs> they give out all their music for free. Where are the cameras? Is this a publicity stunt? Mm-hmm. Once they saw it was it was genuine, then it was like all the I wasn't just accepted, but embraced. Like I say this from stage at every show, but. I've gotten a few awards for what I do, but um, the greatest honor I've ever been given is a bunch of chiefs had a ceremony. Like if you're indigenous and you get a certain amount of respect from the elders and the, and the yeah. chiefs, they'll give you your spirit name, uh, always after a different animal. If you get called the bear, that's because you're a protector and you'll probably be chief when you're older is a good chance. And they gave me the name, they gave, had a ceremony, I didn't even know it was happening. And uh, I was given the name Bear Chief. Like the, oh, so, I'm going to cry. Yeah, that's why I yes, tattooed the bear on my hand with Chief wow. across my fingers. And that's the greatest honor I've been given. And uh, I share that at every show, not just for the Indigenous kids in the audience, but, you know, to show, like, that uh, that kid in the audience that feels like left out. We, you yeah. saw our documentary. There's yeah. a, We've worked with a lot of Indigenous kids. And there's so much talent there and we're losing so many gifted people. Oh, right? you could say that a million times yeah. and it probably still couldn't be said enough because I, f- I feel like we're finally just starting to realize that our indigenous brothers and sisters, they like, we are all related. We're all human beings and we're so quick to be judgmental and to be prejudiced. And, and yet, there's so much hurt that needs to be healed yeah. in the indigenous communities. So I'm I'm so grateful to hear that 
you've gone and and you haven't had an agenda and it's been recognized and received so well and yeah. i yeah it's just mind blowing do you want to hear something incredible we were on one reserve like four hours from a major city and normally we're the only non-indigenous people in the room my bass player right now she's indigenous and she's awesome but um you know we're usually the only ones there right at the time she wasn't with us and somewhere on this reserve and I saw two black nuns in the audience and I was like, Hmm, this I haven't seen before. <laughs> so I went up and I said, can I just ask where you're from? And they said, we're from Africa. And I said, and you, why are you here? And they said, our church in Africa heard about the issues on the reserves in Canada. So they raised money and moved us here and we live here and we, um, they got us a vehicle and I believe they said that they go to the city on weekends to buy groceries to feed the kids at lunch to don't have lunch. Right. And I was like, wow. what? Think of the layers to that story. What are they yeah. raising in their currency right. to do something like that? We send our money to third world countries, which is fine if that's your calling. But how many people have looked in our own backyard yeah. and said like, so I'm like watching this going, oh, wow, that was incredible to yeah. see. You know? That is, that's amazing. I love, I love that you you mentioned that too because they're and and like you said it's great if people are called to overseas missions and whatever else and and there's i i have so much respect for that but i think we have so many internal issues right here in our own country like human trafficking like suicide like our homelessness like our issues on the reserves with suicide and the hurt and the undealt with issues across the board in our society as a whole and yet most people aren't even necessarily cluing in like you know that our young people like do you know what the current suicide rate is right now in canada hit me it's extremely high apparently those statistics actually skyrocketed during covid oh yeah yeah for sure so oh sorry oh go ahead well i was going to say that you know um Prior to COVID, just before the stats from Kids Help, one was one in five teenagers had seriously considered suicide in the last 12 months. And when COVID hit, and we'll probably get into my story a mm-hmm. bit, but, um, you know, I was in a major car accident when I was in school where I was afterwards told to stay home and heal and mm-hmm. for good reason and stuff, but I was put in isolation. So it was like, stay home, don't go to school, don't play sports. And I know what happened to my mental health. So when COVID hit, of course, at the beginning, we were like, are we all going to die here? What is this thing? Yeah. But pretty quickly, we saw at least young people, their immune systems, they were, there wasn't, they were doing okay. Yeah. They need to be with their friends. They need to play sports. They need, and so our, uh, yeah, on our organization through COVID just got bombarded with communities and schools. Yeah. Just please help. This is, this is horrid. And I don't think no. we'll even come close to understanding how that affected people's mental health. No. No. I no, agree. So, yeah, that's probably a good segue to, to talk about your childhood, your upbringing. And I know that when I came to see your documentary that I got to hear all about it. But I would love to kind of unpack. I mean, you grew up rural Manitoba. So what was it like for you growing up as a kid? Yeah. So I grew up in a tiny town, Cleefeld, Manitoba. You know, Cleefeld. <laughs> Mennonite. We're going to start playing the Mennonite I, game now. I couldn't picture if that was... Uh, My maiden name is Newfeld. Do you okay. know that, right? I know. <laughs> Sorry, man. <I'm> <laughs> you don't know this? 
First of all, I couldn't tell Khalif Al Mike, she's never heard of it. Or oh, no, she has a, a horrible experience no, with the Semenonite connection. I saw the look on your face of just like, is that a good thing or a bad Say, thing? I better stop the story here. Okay. So there was some tall guy from Kleefeld. He was a jerk. He had a mohawk. No. <sighs> nope. No. No. Yeah, so I grew up in Kleefeld, like a few stop signs, tiny town, and um, you know, my my parents you know, they were really conservative, as you know, from that area. Uh, you know, so I, most musicians, you know, you, their stories. I wanted to be a rock star my whole life. Me, I wasn't even allowed to listen to, like, mainstream music. I wasn't allowed to watch most TV shows. There was a few I was allowed to watch movies or go to a theater. Like, it was just really isolated. No. Yeah. None and of that. Yeah, so I, and my, my parents had, like, five kids and who all, like, grew up and got married most of them and were having their own kids when I was born so I didn't really grow up with them and I, like I was the only kid in high school or sorry in kindergarten that was an uncle I was just freaked wow. out that nobody else in my kindergarten class was an uncle already <laughs> but uh, so my siblings they kind of grew up with um, you know they were they sang in the like southern gospel quartet stuff and mm. and then I came along and I wasn't in the family band but um <laughs> Yeah, so I was pretty isolated, and then I got a scholarship to move away when I was 15, so I moved out, um, you know, scholarship bursary for a few different things for some athletics and stuff, and my marks were okay, so, and I moved away at 15, and then all of a sudden, you're in dorm, and it was awesome, you could live in, like, this hotel. So with, much freedom. Oh, so much freedom, yeah. and there's chefs making you food, and you can go play hockey and basketball and volleyball, because you live there, right. and you're just with guys and girls your age and all of a sudden having been isolated and stuff all of a sudden and I, I did play some drums a little bit of guitar but everybody's like oh dude you play drums you play guitar can you know can you play Green Day can you play Guns N' Roses and I was like yeah I'm not allowed to listen to I'll wait on um, my parents aren't here I, maybe I could <laughs> listen to this and then I got started hearing like Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Green Day and like Nirvana. ACDC. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, and they were playing more than three chords. And I was like, I didn't know you could do this with a guitar and a drum set. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I started like a band in high school and stuff. And, but yeah, I was just, you know, I was just became, yeah, I just loved music so much. And then, yeah, so I, I, uh, and then in grade 12 at that school, you know, my, my friend just got his license. He had a couple of little dingers that week already. He wasn't a very good driver, but we were, uh, there was like a, a winter formal that we were having at our school. So we went to the nearest town to go get flowers for our dates. And then we were heading back to school and yeah, everybody else was freezing rain. So everybody else was going like 50 because it was super slippery. And we were going a buck 20 and pulling up passing cars. You're teenagers, you know, you're indestructible, you're mm -hmm. invincible. And then pulled out to pass one last car we were almost at our school and then we got yeah semi truck had just crossed the border and yeah we got hit by the semi and my friends all ran uh, thought it was going to explode like in the movies but that doesn't usually happen and they looked back and saw that I was laying there there was a man who had the week before had just uh, taken a first responders course it just happened to be close by and he wow. heard something crash he was supposed to head home I met with him a few years ago, so I got this story. And um, he heard this big crash. He was like, oh, maybe I should check this out. And he went there, and it was really interesting sitting down talking with him because he was like, yeah, you know, 
my story's been fed to me, right? I, I don't remember getting hit by a semi-truck or being in a hospital, but meeting with him, he goes, yeah, when I met you, you had no pulse, you weren't breathing when you were laying there. And so he kicked into his, you know, training and he started trying to resuscitate me. And he said that like, if you, uh, if you're cut, but your heart's not beating, blood's not pumping, so it doesn't really you don't bleed, bleed out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he said he knew my heart started beating again when all of a sudden blood started pouring out of my head. Oh, and uh, my yeah, and then he tried to um, hold my skull together because somebody called the ambulance. He was trying to keep me from bleeding out until uh, the ambulance got there. And then, and I met with his wife a few years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, she said he, he came, like he wasn't able to move his arms for like, a week because he was he had been using all his muscles trying to hold the skull together and he they yeah they said he called the hospital all the time just funny did that kid ever make it you know just tell me give me an update you know and because of privacy act they couldn't tell him and yeah so he was just so thrilled when we could meet and i was able to thank him for saving my life and yeah they got me to um one hospital and then off to another one my parents got that call and no, no one ever wants to get saying you know we're sorry your son was an accident doesn't look good maybe meet us at the hospital they get me there and they're like well his heart's beating again so he'll put his head back together with metal and they did that and had some issues with that surgery that i won't get into but um i just had it rebuilt a few years ago so it wasn't done very well the first one so um yeah anyways i woke up i didn't know who i was or my parents for a while and yeah all kinds of memory issues that i still struggle with and wow. but yeah they uh yeah it was a long recovery and you know, everybody, there's metal here and metal here. And, uh, yeah, you go from a six foot five athlete to a guy getting bathed by his mom and everybody asks you, you know, how's your skull pain? How's your shoulder? How's your back? Cause there's a long physical recovery, but nobody was asking the deeper question. How are you doing emotionally, yeah. mentally, spiritually? And that was the bigger struggle. Cause who am I now when you don't, when your identity is not that I would have been a professional athlete or anything, but that's how you made friends was playing sports. That's yeah. how you, that's how you become cool, you know. And yeah. now, who am I? I can't play sports. I'm not supposed to go into a gym because a ball might hit me in the head, you know. And who are you? And then, yeah, I went into two and a half years of not knowing why I should be here anymore, you know. Oh. I feel like I need to. I've been holding my breath almost the whole time you've been telling your story because, like, I understand the amount of trauma that you went through, but I can't help but think about the gentleman like yeah like holding your head together mm -hmm. just not just trying to do what he can to make sure that you survive and you know yeah not knowing for how long was it since you it was years before i got to meet him and just a friend called me he says i think i just met the guy that resuscitated you I'm wow. like, what you want to do lunch with him and I'm, yeah i went and met with him you know barry all my life and uh yeah is, yeah, you think about all the layers. Like, again, I don't remember being in a hospital or anything like that or getting hit by a semi-truck. So it's almost like maybe at a certain level of pain, your mind kind of shuts off a little bit, you know. Yeah. But uh, but I think about what, what my parents went through, my siblings, you know. Um, it's like, first of all, you don't know if your son's going to be alive. And then I wake up and I'm like, who are you? When I look at my mom, you know. And, yeah, so all of those things. and And... And then there's all the other, like, so people come up to you and they, 
you guys have both been through your own trauma. Everybody has. Some of you may not yet, but someday you're going to go through something tough. And then people throw cliches at you really quickly. Mm -hmm. And they say it with good intentions. But, you know, you get told, like, some people told me that it was fate. So it's your fate. You know what I'm thinking? I don't like that because if it's fate, that means the definition is you have no choice. It's just if it happens, it was ordained. It was like supposed to happen. You have no control. Yeah. And I didn't like that. And I don't think it's true once I thought that through because my best friend who was sitting in the back seat with me, he didn't want to get into the car. He's like, I don't think this is a good idea. Like icy roads. Mm. Buddy just got his license. This is a bad idea. Yeah. So he, something was telling him, eh. And I convinced him to get into the car. So there was, you can say it's fate, but you made some decisions there. For sure. Right? Yeah. Other people come up and say, like, my family would say, like, um, a few said, you know, you better figure out what you're doing wrong because God is mad. So he spanked oh. you with a semi-truck, oh. which is a whole nother thing. So now you take all your anger and, anger and you point it at God. Oh. But the most common thing, tell me you haven't heard this, guys, but um, people come up and say everything happens for a reason. Oh, yeah. And then, and forgive me for all of you that think that that's the greatest statement on earth. I've met people that have tattooed that somewhere on their body. Everything happens for a reason. If you've, if that quote means a lot to you and you found something good out of that, great. But since my accident, I heard it, you know, I've met with so many people at funerals and prisons that have heard that statement. Mm -hmm. Everything happens for a reason. And you try to figure it out. And that brought me to the dark place. Why was what I, was advice? The what's the reason? Yeah. So now you're sitting there going, is it because I'm a bad kid? Is because I said that to my dad? Is because I, you know, what's the reason for this? And then it was like, yeah, around that two, two and a half year mark where somebody walked up and said, you're trying to figure out the reason this happened to you, right? I'm like, yeah, I know what it is. I'm like, what is it? You had an accident and the reason was you were going too fast on an icy road. Shit happens. What are you going to do with it? Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. You, you can. <laughs> you definitely are. But I, I totally agree. I know I've used that statement before, not in regards to people's trauma necessarily. But I have tried to switch gears because I think that's how I tried to placate some of the bad things that happened to me. Mm -hmm. But again, when you have other people inflicting trauma on you or in your instance where you had no control over the situation, something bad just happened. You do get on that merry-go-round and you go around yeah. and around and around. And I like the statement and it's probably a little, you know, cliche, but the beauty for ashes, yeah. you know, I don't think that bad things are ever supposed to happen, but I know that good things can come out of them. Sure. But that also is really challenging too because there is so much to overcome to get to the place where it becomes not quite as terrible yeah. if that makes any sense yeah it takes so, a long time so i i've seen i've seen some amazing things happen that are beyond coincidence like divine things my like, oh there is a reason that I met up with you today or wow, you said something to me there uh, at the perfect timing. That was not a coincidence that, that really fed my life, you know, let's say, but to say everything happens for a reason. Sometimes it's just yeah. like, and I had to find the antidote to that. What it is. And it was on stage one day and I was literally, I was like, look, you know, I went through this and maybe some of this audience has been through something, but I'm like, look, and all of a sudden it just clicked. And I was like, 
bad things don't happen for a reason. Bad things happen with potential. Mm. So my accident had the potential to leave me angry, bitter, suicidal the rest of my life. Or there's the potential. You take that, you do something with it, you turn your story around, show that you're a survivor. Your story, your story. Anyone listening, it's like, there's the potential. It can tear you apart. Yeah. Uh, tragedy can tear apart an individual, can tear apart a family, can tear apart a community, a school, business, a province, a country. <laughs> yeah. But tragedy also has the potential to bring a family closer together, to bring a community closer together. Right. It's what we do in those tough times. And that, those are the tough decisions to make. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, what am I going to do with this? How can I tell my story? As I mentioned earlier on, you know, Maya, who I sang with at the event that we were at together, you know, um, you know, she was still hesitated very much with sharing parts of her story because it's tough. Yeah. And then she heard you get up there and you shared your story and she was just like, oh, wow, there's somebody else that understands this trauma that I've been through. I'm sure it's not easy for you to share what you've been through. Um, but all of a sudden, somebody in the audience that is going, oh, I'm not alone. Somebody else has been through something similar. Look at their talking about it. Maybe I should talk about it too. And maybe my story could help somebody else. And, and those are the thoughts because so for a couple of years there during that dark time, like I was terrified to fall asleep every night because um, once I fell asleep and I woke up in a hospital bed, I didn't remember getting hit wow. by a semi. I don't remember. So it's like, what if next time something I don't remember happening and I don't wake up? Yeah. And I was always having the same nightmare when I slept was that I watched my own funeral and nobody showed up. Wow. Nobody cared that I lived or that I died. So now I'm like, no, again, everything happens with potential. To one person, you can go, man, if I died, would anyone show up at my funeral? Would, would anybody even notice if I was gone? Potential. You can take that and go, I want to test that theory. You're right. Nobody would notice if I'm gone. I'm going to find out if they, I, I'm going to. I'm going to focus on that thought or, and this is somehow I was able to make, nobody would show up at my funeral. Well, when I do die, I want people to show up at my funeral. I want to leave a mark on somebody than just myself. I'm going to, and you can use that, that same, that same lie in your head that says nobody yeah. cares if you live or die. It's like you can take that and go down that rabbit hole this way or you could climb the staircase and go, oh, wait. I want people to know and have stories about me that matter. And I want to be remembered for having impact even on one person. Because we live in the West. We are so self-absorbed. Yeah. We spend all our time looking after Preach ourselves. <laughs> we are focused on the worst four-letter word, which is more. Yeah. You know, more, more, more money will allow this. And we've toured with the biggest bands in the world. And, man, when you meet them, oh, like you have it all, like you, uh, you're almost frustrated you're going, but if you, if you stop at success, you're in trouble. That's never going to fulfill you. And that's where Hollywood has taught us success, yeah, get success. Sure. Right. But there's one more step and that's from success to significance. That's where your life impacts somebody. You know, I like that you brought this up and I, I want to go there for a second because this is the first time that I think I've acknowledged within myself listening to you tell it. What people don't, I think they don't realize about PTSD is it affects everything in your life. When you're not sleeping, like I was riddled with nightmares after my dog attack. Like I would have 
night terrors over. I was afraid to fall asleep at night, mm. not because I was not afraid or I was afraid of not waking up or waking up somewhere else, but because my nightmares were so bad. They were so real to me of at this point. And like I was seven, I would have nightmares of dogs ripping my sister apart. Mm. Like she's four and a half years younger than me. So she was very small at the time. And I, after that, I would have nightmares about bad things happening to my family that I couldn't stop. So it was, it's interesting, I guess, that that's how it came out in me. But do you want to describe even a little bit more like, cause you obviously did have a lot of PTSD mm. that you went through was the depression side of it the biggest part that you noticed or what were some of the things that you had to work through other than the lack of sleep? Well, there was a lot to it. So you're in grade 12 and in grade 12, so many people are like, oh, I'm going to do this for a year. Then I'm going to go to school for this. And then they've got their life planned out. I was never really that guy, but now it's like, Oh, what do you do? I kind of got like a sympathy diploma. Yeah. And then you're like okay, college and university are kind of out of the question because your marks almost all your grade 12 courses aren't complete mm -hmm. and I didn't want to go back you know and it was tough for me to learn like because of the my short-term visual memory is damaged so for me if I read if I read page one page two page three by page four or five for the first page is gone so um I, like my visual memory is destroyed but in the same way like if one sense is hurt like somebody goes blind other senses can be heightened. It's pretty interesting because my audible memory is lit up. Hmm. So, so what I, you hear. If I hear something, I'm good. So oh. if I, my friends get annoyed with me because if I hear a song a couple times or I watch a movie, we walk into the theater and I can quote it back to you, which works out pretty well when you're a musician. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's pretty annoying too. So, um, so like, for example, coming here today, like I can go to uh, the same place 20 times and I still have to put it in my GPS because I don't go like, oh, turn right at the... So... So even to get my high school diploma, like the car insurance, they knew if, if I tried to read and do an exam, I was screwed, but they would pay somebody to read it to me because if I heard it, then I could recall it, wow. right? Wow. So it was interesting, all those things, but then you're like, well, so I can't really go to college or university. I can't, physical labor would have been tough because of all my injuries. Mm -hmm. So you're like, no, what do I, do? I can't what do I do sports. with my life? Yeah. yeah, I can't, that's how I interact with people right. so i'm like what who who am i what do i do i still try to do things even though my doctors told me not to play any sports and stuff but just just these things this identity thing was really tough and i'm going yeah you know who am i and that was the biggest thing it's like i had mm. no identity so if, if you want to narrow it down from lack of sleep and pain and all that stuff it was just this now what you know and you know in a, in a from a family that didn't really dream big, you know? So, mm. um, you're going, oh, but there was something in me, you know? And, and, uh, I would always tell my story with real bitterness. Can you believe this happened to me? And I blah, blah, blah. And then one day I got the guy just, Oh, wow, man, thank you for that. That really inspires me. I was like, what? He goes, well, it just makes, I don't know. It feels like maybe I should make every day count, you know? And, uh, I was like, Oh, I was like, my story could inspire somebody here. Not a lot of people can relate to getting hit by a semi-truck and having a metal skull. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, huh. And then, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, somebody walked up and said, you had an accident because you were going too fast on an icy road. And I was like, okay. So 
not a lot of people come back and get a second chance. You know, I've sung at way too many funerals. I sung at my cousin's funeral a little while ago. And I'm every time it's like, you know, I'm looking at them going, why did I get a second chance? Why not them? Yeah. Why is my heart beating and theirs isn't, you know, and, and again, you can t take that and have a lot of, you know, survivor guilt, but you can go, hmm, I did get a second chance. So I was like, okay, maybe I should do something with this second chance. And uh, it's like, what could I do with my life? And, and uh, I just said, okay, whatever I feel right now, any prompting I get, I'll do it. And uh, I've told this story many times, but I just looked at this guy. I was like, I'll do anything. And I, you know, you get those promptings, right? And I yeah. thought I'd hear a voice telling me to move to a third world country and build a well. And I would have done whatever I felt. And you talk about the trauma of the re first responder, my parents, my thing, all of a sudden I heard, find the semi driver that hit you and tell him you're alive. And I was like, what? So I phoned the police and I was like, hey, can I get the number of the semi driver that ran me over? <laughs> the police are like, uh, no, no. no. <laughs> I was like, okay, but I, I did it. I tried, but man, a voice wouldn't leave me alone. I was just like, you need to find this guy. So finally, mm -hmm. I talked to Will and Cop, and I was like, I think this guy needs to know I'm alive. And uh, Cop was really hesitant. He's like, all right, you didn't get this from me, but here's his number. He's from the states, and I was able to get a hold of him and said, do you remember that accident up in Canada? And he got real quiet. He said, yeah. And I said, I just felt I should tell you I'm alive. I'm okay. I survived. And he started crying. So I'm just so sorry about your friend. And I was like, which friend? He goes, the guy that died and crushed his skull. I'm like, no, that's me. And we talked and everybody thinks that story is about him. And yeah, that might have set him free. It felt like it because this was tormenting him. Even though the accident was our fault, it wasn't his fault. But what that did to me, I was like, oh, that felt good. Wow. <laughs> I would yeah. like more of that. Yeah. And then I thought the other person said my story made him, inspired him to make every day count. I was like, oh, man, maybe I should tell my story. And maybe I'm not the only one that have had suicidal thoughts. And I was like, how can I tell a story? I'm like, music's a good way. So started a band. We, yeah, we uh, did our first album, got in front of the first crowd and we look and there's four people there. <laughs> And you're kind of like, wait, no, I want to, like, inspire the world. And <laughs> I've had this big vision. Why are there four people here? Oh, no. But I'm like, well, I'm going to give my all to these four people and started this band. And, man, we poured our hearts. We, we became like a family. Our, we were like brothers. And um, But it was always like, why is there four? Now I listen to our first album, and I'm kind of like, I'm okay that there was four people in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> We, we weren't great, <laughs> but we got a little better. Uh, album two, three, four, five, six. Uh, oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> I, I this is totally unrelated, but it's funny when you look back on certain parts of your life where you're just like, yeah, like at that time you're like, I got it all together, I got it all figured yeah. out. You look back later and you're like, oh, that was so crazy. <laughs> I am so like, you have to learn how to like entertaining audience you don't like man if i would have did that first show in front of ten thousand people <laughs> dang but, but also you're going um you know all these stories of meeting people afterwards what you're saying from stage in between songs and telling stories and and then you have people share with you like i would have had no idea how to respond to some of the stuff i i see now and i think there's a reason sometimes you just you don't have to have like if i would have been given the vision to like 
I'm going to start a band and then it's going to be by album four, you get a record deal and then you, this happens, you get songs on the radio and then you're going to walk away from your record deal and go to some schools. You're going to meet, you know, people in schools and prisons and stuff. If, if I would have found out that it would take in, here we are in 2024. And again, I feel like, okay, this is something that we're actually doing. We're not just crowd surfing. This is like, we're telling stories. If I would have been given, it's going to take this long to get to this place, but yeah. it's like, you just, like you learn at addictions meeting just for today. We got this just for today. We got this just for today. And you just keep, and there's a reason I think you're spoon fed it because the full vision would just take way too long, mm -hmm. you know, or way too overwhelming. Very. Right? Well, I think cause we're, and I don't think this is just a trauma thing, but for people in general, like we are an instant gratification type yeah. being. So when it comes down to, you know, we have a vision, we have a goal or what we think is a destiny where, where we want to go. And then to, if you think about all the steps, like even just the podcast, for instance, mm -hmm. like it, it, like we have a, a relatively small following at the moment. It, that doesn't mean that's where we want it to stay. But, you know, we even talked before we started filming about how social media is a strange beast because you don't, I don't like talking or putting myself on a pedestal because it's, it's weird. It's awkward. Yeah. Like, Oh, here's a picture of me. Look at me and <laughs> like my picture and stroke my ego and like, you know, whatever. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I, and coming from the entertainment industry, everybody is well, not everybody. It's a very vain industry. There's a lot of mm -hmm. egos. So I'm always like, nobody cares what I'm doing. I don't post a lot. Ever. And I always overthink things as well. I, every post has to be like change somebody's life, which is also, you know, way too overwhelming. But it's like, even though I had a vision to impact a lot of people, um, if you just sit back and go, give me 40,000 people and I'll do it. You know, it's the same thing. And I was going to say this, you, you mentioned your podcast, you know, like you can go like, if you give us a million followers, we'll start a podcast. We'll do it. It's like, will you do it for four followers? Yeah. For, so if you're faithful, if little more is given, you know, so it's like, are you going to pour, are you going to engage with your audience, even if it's 20, or are you going to wait till it's 2 million? You know, so many young bands come up and they say like, oh, dude, we want to do what you do. I'm like, we want to like, you know, do what you're doing and stuff. I'm like, cool, cool. How long you been playing? Seven months. <laughs> awesome. Great. Get good at what you do. Yeah. You know, like hone in on your craft, like get good at what you do because, um, yeah, you, you want to be ready for that moment when that thing comes, you know, like don't just wait for a million followers or somebody, Oh, if we had a million dollars, we'd be set as a band. Oh, here's a million dollars. Yeah, what do, now what? Yeah, what do you do with it? Do you yeah. have a plan? But yeah. there's a reason for growth and getting ready to tell your story to a few people before it's millions. I love that. And I think it's important, like, not to despise small beginnings because everybody starts somewhere. And, like, even just hearing you say, you know, are you going to play your heart out for those four people? And even looking back now, you're like, Ooh, I don't know if I want to, like, I would have wanted to play for more people. And, like... It's no different with anyone else. Like even with us, like we're still figuring a lot of stuff out yeah. and it's not about Kate or myself or how we look or even, 
you know, a lot of the stuff that goes into it, it's about, it's about the message and it's about reaching people and helping them know that they're not alone. And, you know, you're seen, you're heard. And, you know, even though we can't directly see you or mm-hmm. hear you, there's, there's a beauty in storytelling where people hear someone's story and they connect with a certain aspect of it. And it's just that, that moment, like you even described on the inside of like, okay, what am I going to do with this now? I can already tell you guys, like I do a lot of interviews and stuff, but some people are just, tell us about your story. (laughs) (laughs) Just reading a script. And then, and then you're, you're waiting and apologies if you were one of the people, but but they're listening to your answer and they're like waiting to see if you're done and you could be going somewhere with it. And they go, tell us about the, and it's completely different, Yeah, but you guys are engaged. You're actually here to have a conversation. You care about what, you're hearing what you're saying you're careful about you care about your audience you know so it's like and then you're preparing for these moments and again i I joke about our first album that we did and we were very proud of it and i'm proud of what we did yeah but man you do the second album the third album and then all of a sudden you get a record deal and you're flown out to vancouver to work with these producers from vancouver and la and all of a sudden you're like you're sitting there like we're gonna make sure that you have hits we're gonna work with you If that would have been my first moment in a studio, yeah, I was I was intimidated. Even though I had done three albums and had done a lot of songwriting, right? But now, if I wouldn't have had those experiences, like I would have been like, okay, what chord are you going to use there? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, Just yeah, a fish you go into the water. Probably it was it was wild. Yeah. And and honestly, the you know, there's some stories that. <laughs> that I share and some that I don't, I'll give you some aspects of this, but like often young bands will come up and say like, Hey, how do you get a song on the radio? And all this stuff. I'm like, I found out how to get a song on the radio and it's not fun. It's not, it's not, it's dirty. Like, you know, the industry's kind of funky, right? Yeah. But new music comes out every Tuesday from Epic and Sony and Warner and BMG and universal music and all that. And so, for months they were preparing for the release of our, our song, our first single, right? And the weekend before they released our song, they flew the management of all the biggest radio stations in Canada, flew them to Vancouver, right? And this was after you got your record deal? This is that time, but got right. the record deal, now this is okay. getting ready to promote the songs, right? And then and the album. So they flew all the management out of this, out to Vancouver with limos and five-star hotels and good restaurants, all which by the way, I won't get into it, but the artist is going to owe all of this money back to the label and stuff. Right. Wow. But, um, so they're doing this thing and then we're at this private club and they're like, Hey, we're going to introduce you, Rob, all those radio guys are out there. It's like hundred people and they make sure there's all kinds of other people there partying with them and it's going to be a good time. We're going to introduce you. You just walk out and give everybody a wave and come backstage. It's like, okay, cool. And they're like, here he is. The man who came back from the dead, Rob Nash. And I walk out. And everybody's cheering. I'm like, oh, hey. And there's all these, like, sexy nurses dancing around me. Oh. And I was like, what is that? What is it? <gasps> They're using my car accident as a gimmick. Oh. And I was livid. And I came backstage. I'm like, what was that? Oh and they were like, dude, we know what we're doing. You know, we know how to promote. I'm like, that's a pretty vulnerable part of my life, right? 
The next night we play the show, another Ooh. private club. They hired Loverboy to open for us. 72 million albums sold. But if we if they open for us, that makes us look big. Yeah. So it's like, everybody is working for the weekend. And we're oh supposed to follow that. Oh, my goodness. And then I, yeah, then there's this after party at the hotel. And, yeah, and I was supposed to crash the party at 3 a.m., which we, me and the band did. And, uh, yeah, and I was like, we're in a hotel there should not be a party this big what people are trying to sleep and sure enough we got kicked out and police and all that stuff and i'm like i'm from cleveland man it's a what is that <laughs> <laughs> but then the, the night. <laughs> <laughs> but then that next week we uh they released our song and boom it's way up there it's like really quickly it was number three in canada and uh it was funny when we were writing these songs these producers like hey we're gonna sit with you while you write this stuff we're gonna write it with you make sure it's hits and like what do you want to write a song about first day i was like well i met this homeless guy at a soup kitchen i'd love to write a song about him like, okay so i wrote this song called hello goodbye and they're like cool and that night one of the guys from the labels drive me to my hotel and they're like that's cool that you got that off your chest a song about a homeless person but Nobody on the radio wants to hear about homeless people. This makes me so mad. We need you to write hits. But guess which song on our album went to number three in Canada on radio? Does it have to about have the to song do about a homeless guy? Oh my gosh. Oh. That was the one that did it. Yeah. And we had uh, three, four songs that hit the top ten, but all of a sudden now you're on radio interviews and stuff and hey, it's Rob Nashwood whatever radio station in Halifax. <laughs> We're Rob Nash's party this weekend. This guy can throw a party. I'm like, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> but then they were like, but you've got an incredible story, Rob, in, the, in this song. Can you tell us about your story in your song? And now all of a sudden I get to take over the narrative a little bit and tell some stories that matter. And um, yeah. And then we were planning to, they were getting us ready to go to LA to do the same nurse party. And, oh, nurse wow. party. And, I like uh, that it has its own name now. <laughs> and then, yeah, and overseas and stuff. And then I got offered a nine month tour to go into some schools and stuff, tell my story. And everyone thought I was crazy. And yeah, to walk away from a record deal to do that. And no idea how, like, didn't have a charitable status, couldn't take donations nine months without any pay. And, yeah, even though you had songs on the radio, everybody thinks you have a million dollars, but you don't, especially when you all the money is owed back anyways. So, wow. yeah, I left on that tour. Uh, and then after nine months, other schools started calling other communities and prisons, and brought acoustic guitars back, so now it's two acoustics, and then I brought my drummer in and then started just building and building and building. And you saw us at your school right mm -hmm. at the beginning of that, but the last five years before COVID, like we couldn't meet the demand anymore, so we would set up at bigger theaters around Canada, literally from coast to coast to coast. And we'd set up and uh, bring in like 10, 20 schools for a show and set up for a week at a place like the Burton Cummings Theater here in Winnipeg mm -hmm. or the Jubilee Theater in Calgary. And we just did the Bell Center in Surrey, did three shows there and just packed the kids in. And yeah, and then you're telling stories. And, you know, Maya, the girl that you had such an impact on, you know, I tell her story and then I'm like, do you want to meet her? And she walks out on stage and performs with us. Oh. There's one kid in our show, um, sorry, on our tour that I met from a, a reserve in Northern Saskatchewan. And uh, he had a few attempts and he didn't just have a suicide note, he had a suicide book. He wrote a hundred pages of things that he hated about himself. Oh and, my word. And what, did he, what he wanted his family to do with the things that he owned after he was passed. And uh, I met with him and I was like, dude, you got to keep going. Somebody needs your story. He goes, really? I said, yeah. I said, are you glad I'm still here? 
He goes, uh, yeah. I'm like, and somebody will say the same thing to you one day. And I'm like, have you gotten out what's in here mm -hmm. into a poem, into a painting, into a song? Have you into a journal? Like, have you found a way to express yourself? Right. He goes, like, do you like dancing, music, painting? He goes, I love music. I said, if you could play anything, what would you play? He goes, guitar. I mean, then you got to play guitar. He goes, ah. Uh. And he shows me he was born with just an elbow on his left arm. He said, blow the elbow amputee. And I was like, ah, no bullshit excuses, bro. Play. He's like, and I believe I showed him a video of a kid that plays drums with two elbows, right? It's fantastic. So you plan to see with a, get, with a guy like Dylan, you know. And two years later, he sends me a video, and I'll show it to you afterwards. Thanks for pushing me. It's two and a half years later. He has five fingers and an elbow. And here's me playing Metallica. And you can hear the crowd cheering, and he's ripping. He has like a... Just shredding. Shredding. Wow. Oh, yes. Made me so angry because I have 10 fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and he's playing in two and a half years. This is incredible. And so um, this is the clip he sent us. He's able to play like that. So now um, during COVID when we weren't able to do our shows, we went around the country and we followed up with uh, a bunch of kids that had breakthroughs after our shows. And um, maybe we'll get into that as well. We've been handed suicide notes after our shows. And so I followed up with six of those kids and we filmed their stories. In this curriculum, you know, students are learning about my story through a movie at the front of the, you know, and then Dylan's story. And now when we perform, you know, I just say like, hey, um, you guys remember Dylan from Northern Saskatchewan, indigenous kid with the one arm? The crowd's like, yeah. I'm like, remember when I said we can go back on tour, he's going to join us? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, guess what? And you hear the crowd, they're like, he's here. Oh. And the crowd just lights up. And here's a clip of that moment. I know in the, in the, in the curriculum I say, next time we go on tour, that boy's going to join us on tour. And guess what, guys? Dylan's here. So yeah, here goes, you see that, a kid that thought he had nothing to offer this world, wrote a hundred pages of things that he hated about himself and he's a hero and and there's just a crowd of kids that want to meet him after the show that are inspired by him. Just, oh, yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. That's amazing. No, and, I, I, and he's out on tour with me right now doing shows, but I say it at every show we do that, you know, he's not going to be my guitar player the rest of his life. That's not the goal. I think he's going to go on and do bigger things than I've ever done. He's, oh. that, he's, he's a gem amazing i just want to add to that because i think there's a serious lack of mentorship across generations and so on and so forth and so i love it that you are using your experiences to mentor an entirely different generation and to hear someone who mentors somebody else say that like the goal wasn't so that they could contribute to my vision. The goal was to give them their own vision and release them into that. And so I just, 
yeah, it's always interesting interviewing people because I'm always like, you know, they probably can't get any better in my eyes. And then, and then they do. You talk to them and you're like, oh, they really can. Okay, well, okay, here we are. Yeah, well, you can talk to people that know me well and I've disappointed a lot of people too. <laughs> but, well, I mean, but, we're all human, yeah. right? And I think... Like I think about my own family sometimes and I'm like, jeepers, they probably look at me like I am just a raging disappointment <laughs> some days. But that's because they know you, they see your flaws. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that I don't think that you or our other guests or anyone is without flaws. But, you know, it's it's like you said, like it's what we do with what we've been given, like flaws and all that mm -hmm. that really makes a difference and makes an impact on the people around us so mm -hmm. yeah. i just love that you're mentoring yeah well our show is like the first five ten minutes that i tell my story and play a song about it and the rest of the time is telling stories of people we met and bring them on stage and you know um mm -hmm. now i've realized there was lots of help out there that i didn't reach out for but i thought man I could, maybe I could be that for somebody else, though. And, and to this day, nobody walks up and says, Rob, I was it by semi like you and I have a middle head like you, though. This is. But people be like, this guy's been through something tough, so have I. Yeah. He's talking about it, maybe so should I. He got help, maybe so should I. And and I'll, I'll tell you this, when, when I started doing this, as I mentioned, the one guy was like, I'm inspired, man, by your story. It makes me want to make every day count. So when I started doing this, I would talk about, yeah, like, this is what happened to me. You're young, make every day count because you never know what could happen tomorrow. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that was my whole thing. I never spoke about the fact that I had been suicidal on stage. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, please make sure to like, subscribe, follow us on our social channels at Luma and Bloom Official, and leave us a review where you can. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. We hope you had your own Luma moment.